that better? I promise you it's not going to be a, another uh, long message today. Because <clears throat> I know you've all already got everything I said last week totally digested and figured out. I'm sure that's true. Uh, one of the songs this morning, I think it's very important for all of us, uh, not just us, but everybody really, uh, you know you can command your soul? David did in Psalms. Bless the Lord, O my soul, he said. Well, he's commanding his soul to bless the Lord. His soul didn't feel like blessing the Lord, but he commanded his soul to bless the Lord. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Forget none of his benefits. Praise the Lord, O ye people. So our souls have a desire to worship and to praise. And man, that cuts through a lot of the junk that goes on in your life. It settles you, it focuses you, it gets you back to where you need to be. That's what, that's what praise does, that's what worship does. Focuses your life and attention on Him. Praise is simply doing two things. It's recalling His works and never forgetting His benefit. Recalling His works and never forgetting His benefit. The benefits to you from knowing him. And that kind of renews you and revives you every time you do it. And I've had to do that some. Uh, I, I'll, I'll admit to you that one of the reasons I'm doing this particular series on the feast is for myself. Uh, uh, many of you asked me to do this, but it's a benefit to me also because I had a hard time. I've had a hard time going through this political season that we've been in for the last number of months and years. And uh, it's very difficult for me. And I kind of got off track, honestly. My opinion hasn't changed about anything. But my attitude has, and my heart has, as this uh, series focuses me on the future and that God is still up to a lot of things that God is up to. And that helps me. It helps me relax and come to rest. And to believe that even though my grandchildren probably will grow up in an America that I wouldn't even recognize, and you won't either, that they will find their own way in that, and they will learn the things that we've learned of worship and praise and trusting God and and prospering even wherever they're planted and whatever they're doing, God's with them, and they'll be they'll be the the head, not the tail. That's what I think. So it's helped me, and I hope it helps you also. Since I forgot my Bible this morning, left it at home and all the notes I had, this is going to be off the cuff. I started to go home and get it, and I said, nah, I don't need it. Uh, I, I do need the Bible, but y'all can read the primary passage of Scripture in this today is in Exodus chapter 12. Last week we looked at Passover. Uh, we're going to look at unleavened bread today. And uh, so let me quickly recap. Please read your bulletin. There's a, there's a, a, a summary of what we did last week in there uh, in a section of, of Scripture. The nation of Israel was commanded by God to gather three times a year to celebrate or commemorate, celebrate and commemorate something that had happened in their history that God had done. He wanted this to be a perpetual thing for them so they never forgot what he'd done. But he also did this for us. Do you understand that? He did all this for us. 
So we would know, and we could understand, looking back historically, we can understand what this stuff meant. What it meant, and what it means to me, and what it means to you. It means something to you. This stuff means something to you. It's applicable to you. It will give you a, a, a kind of a road map, a, a directional uh, operative in your life to see where you're going, and where you're headed, where you've been, all of that. It, it does that. They were together three times a year, in the first month, third month, seventh month. They had only a seven-month calendar. Their religious calendar was seven months long. Their civil calendar was 12 months, just like ours. But, but God changed their calendar when he instituted these feasts, and for a reason. Uh, so they were to gather in the first month to celebrate Passover. Passover is a three-in-one feast, Passover, unleavened bread, and first fruits. But it all goes under the name of Passover. Okay, all three of those do. So it's a three-in-one feast in the first month of the year. Uh, and that's significant also that it's in the first month. Now in the third month, which is roughly the middle of the year, but not quite uh, the middle of the year, uh, they were to celebrate the Feast of Pentecost. Pente meaning 50. It took them 50 days when they left Egypt at Passover. He took them out of slavery, out of 400 years of slavery, out of Egypt, and he was taking them to the promised land. That's his, that was his plan. It took them exactly 50 days from the time they left Egypt until they arrived at the base of Mount Sinai where God gave them the Ten Commandments and the law. That's when it was instituted in their lives. Exactly 50 days. It was 50 days from the time of Jesus' uh, ascension until he, until he promised the coming of the Spirit at Pentecost. He appeared for uh, he appeared for 40 days after his resurrection and then he told his disciples to go to the upper room in Jerusalem and wait and they waited for 10 days in the fullness of God's time Pentecost came and exactly 50 days so you can see that whatever happened at Pentecost uh, at, the, at Mount Sinai had something to do with Pentecost alright that was in the third month now, in the seventh month, the last month of the year, they were to commemorate, come together, and still are, to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles. Tabernacles is also a three-in-one feast. There's the, uh, the Feast of Trumpets, which comes first. Most of the time, trumpets signifies prophetic voices, uh, voices proclaiming something that God is up to, God is doing. It's a forerunner. Uh, the trumpets, in this case, I think they were foretelling the clouds, the storm, the rain that was coming, the move of God, the, that God's up to something bigger than he's ever done outside of Jesus in the earth. Okay? So that trumpet. And then there's Feast Day of Atonement, which is also part of, of Tabernacles. And that, this is a 10-day feast, so it took them a while to go through that feast, the, the Feast of Atonement. But it takes a long time to explain all that also. I mean, the atonement takes a little while to explain. But by and large, it is a cleansing, a season of cleansing, of connecting with God and allowing him to work in their hearts and lives and to commemorate atonement. And then there was the Feast of Tabernacles itself, or the Feast of Booze, it's also called, where they, we don't know a lot about that feast. There's not a lot of explanations in it, really. And there's some of it that doesn't, still doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me yet. But it, the reason it doesn't make sense to me yet is because it hadn't been fulfilled yet. That's the problem. 
is I'm conjecturing some when it comes to tabernacles because it's not as clear. It hasn't been fulfilled. Uh, God hasn't done all that he's going to do spiritually yet in that feast. So it's coming, though, I can tell you. As surely as he fulfilled Passover, which he has, as surely as he fulfilled Pentecost, we know about Pentecost, the Holy Spirit did come, it's a historical fact, that the Holy Spirit did come and dwell our mortal bodies. We became, that, that was the sign of union with God. It was God in us forever. So that's happened. So we understand some of that, but the last one we don't understand a lot of. Now, there's three places that you look to, three areas of fulfillment. First of all, the, the uh, uh, prophetic fulfillment, uh, uh, the historical fulfillment in, in Israel. These things actually happened, okay? So they've been historically fulfilled. Then you look for the prophetic fulfillment in Jesus. All this stuff talks about Jesus. Uh, Luke 24, 44, I believe it is, says that all the law, the Psalms, and the prophets are about him. All the law, the Psalms, and the prophets are about him. All of it's about him, if you've got eyes to see. All the law, the Psalms, and the prophets. The law is the first five books of the Bible with the 12 historical books. The Psalms are the five poetic books, Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon. And the prophets are the five major prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, and Daniel, plus the 12 minor prophets, which equals to 39 books of the Old Testament. And every one of them speak of Jesus. They all speak of Jesus. Jesus is in all of it. All of it, if you can find it and see it. But it's there. So, all of this stuff really is about him. And he uh, prophetically has fulfilled Passover. He is our lamb, the lamb who was slain, the blood applied to the doorposts. You, you see that clearly, don't you? So he's fulfilled Passover. He's also fulfilled Pentecost, which I just mentioned to you a moment ago. He sent the Spirit. The Spirit came. The Spirit indwells us. We were filled with the Spirit, baptized in the Spirit, immersed in the Spirit, possessed by the Spirit. The Holy Spirit's a very, very significant player in all this. You understand that, right? So you need to open your heart and lives to the Holy Spirit in all of His manifestations and all His forms. It doesn't make you a nut unless you already are a nut. <laughs> it doesn't help your nuttiness, but, well, it might. But it's very important that we all understand the operation of and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Now, in tabernacles, you see, what you'll see is the greatest manifestation of the life of God that's ever happened on earth. The greatest manifestation of the life of God. I don't know how to explain that any, any better than that, honestly. That he'll be doing some things and up to some things and the Spirit moving in our hearts and lives in ways that have not yet been fulfilled. He's done a lot. He hasn't done everything he's going to do. That's what I'm saying to you. It's in that season of time, which is a great harvest season at the end of the year, where the, the rains come together. It's a rain of harvest. It produces great harvest. That's when you're going to see the reaper overtake the sower. Things like that, those phrases. There will be a season where the reaper overtakes the sower, which is you know, logically impossible. You can't reap where you don't sow. But in God's economy, you can reap where you don't sow because he's the one doing the sowing. Yeah. 
So, the great manifestation of the life of God is coming prior to the coming of Jesus, the second coming of Christ. Now, if your eschatology, I told you last week, causes you to fear anything about that, then your eschatology is off. He consistently tells us, do not fear. Don't fear what he's doing. Don't fear what he's going to do. And eschatology in the past has put fear in almost everybody's heart that looks at it, doesn't it? There's always these gloom and doom things that are going to happen. Maybe we're going to get snatched out for the bad stuff, but what if we have to stay? We're going to have to take the mark of the beast. We're going to all this kind of stuff causing fear. You're going to be slaughtered. All these things causing fear in the lives of God's people. Yet God says, do not fear. So if your eschatology causes you to fear, you need to change your eschatology. And the guy that taught it to you, you need to change his. All right? <laughs> anyway, it's all about Jesus. All of it spoke of Jesus. These aren't just history lessons, folks. They're types and shadows of the new covenant and what's coming. So that's why it's important for us to understand it. Uh, let me read the, the first uh, Psalm 89 there. I don't have a Bible. So can you put that first thing up there on that little screen? Uh, yeah, the first part of it. Oh, here it is. <laughs> Blessed, happy, fortunate to be envied are the people who know the joyful sound, who understand and appreciate the spiritual blessings symbolized by the feast. They walk, O oh Lord, in the light and favor of thy countenance. What a verse. I don't know a verse in the Bible much more specific than that about specific blessings and something you need to do to get in on the blessing, which is understand, receive, celebrate, what the feast teach you, right? Who doesn't want to walk in the light and favor of God's countenance? All of us do. So, I, I want to show you just a, two or three things here real quickly. Acts, Acts 3.21 says, The heavens must contain Jesus until the restoration of all things spoken of by the prophet. You ever read that verse before? That the heavens must contain Jesus until the restoration of all things spoken of by the prophets. There's lots of prophetic stuff in these feasts. And they will be fulfilled. They'll be fulfilled before the coming of Jesus. And believe me, uh, it's going to change the world. It'll change the world. People of every tongue, tribe, people, and nation will be coming to Jesus and the glory that God has to share with them. They'll come. I think the, the biggest uh, message that all of us will have will be love, grace, kindness. There'll also be an anointing uh, that, <laughs> you know, he did a lot of things in the first century that propelled the church forward. All kinds of signs and wonders and miracles, didn't he? Well, uh, he's going to do some more. There's going to be some more. But really, miracles don't necessarily turn people to Jesus. Let me tell you what does. The word of truth does. The truth of God's goodness and his grace. And you can see a progression in all this. It's very clear. Uh, I told you a little bit about this, about the tabernacle last week, outer court, inner court, holy of holies, outer court representing Jesus, sacrifices, inner court, spirit, lampstand, oil, 
the first part of the building representing the Holy Spirit, and then the Holy of Holies representing whom? The Father. God the Father. You got the Son, the Spirit, the Father. The revelation of the Son, revelation of the Spirit. What follows that in Tabernacles is revelation of the Father, a greater understanding and revelation of the Father. When he begins revealing himself even more than he already has. However, we're starting to do that already, are we not? Little voices around the world, some big voices around the world, are more and more beginning to understand and teach and release the truth that God primarily is our Father. A friend of mine said one time, let's see, God is who He is. God is what He is. Father is who He is. God is what He is. Father is who He is. My Father, my Father, folks, my Father is God. My father's God. He's my father first. But don't ever forget, he's also God. There'll be a revelation of that, of his love, his compassion, his care, all these kinds of things. So you see these progressions happen. 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold Christians. You see that in the New Covenant. 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. Ear of corn, uh, 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 kernel of corn, ear of corn, stalk of corn. These things are used as types in the, in the uh, New Covenant even. Uh, what about the foolish virgins, wise virgins, bride of Christ? Revelation of who the bride is and what she is and all of that as it comes to full measure of, of release. Outer court, inner court, holy of holies. It all goes together. There's something that's going to happen in the future that hasn't happened yet. Uh, here, here's another interesting one. In Genesis, you have one lamb for one man, Abraham. The, uh, Bill's taught on that very well. That that lamb was divided and separated, but that was a covenant. The Abrahamic covenant was established there with God. One man, one lamb. In uh, Passover, as we've read in Exodus uh, chapter 12, there was one lamb for a whole family, right? For a family. Each man takes a lamb, each head of household and his family. If there's not enough, they invite others. I, there's some details there, but one lamb for a family. One lamb, one man, one lamb, one family. In the tabernacle of Moses and in the temple, it's one lamb for the nation. Once a year, one lamb for the whole nation. In Jesus, it's one lamb for the world. One lamb for the whole world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. So, you see that progression going forward, don't you? Now, here's a, an interesting thing. At least it's been true in the past. It probably still is, I'm sure. People who most resist Pentecost or Passover Christians. Think about it a minute. I grew up in that atmosphere of tremendous resistance to the work and activity of the Holy Spirit in the denominational system that I was in. Passover Christians resist Pentecost. 
Don't let Pentecost Christians resist tabernacles. Don't you let that happen to you. You move on. God doesn't want you to stay where you are. He wants you to move forward. He wants you to grow and grow up. And it shows you how you can do that. First of all, you're born again. Pass over. Receive what Jesus did in your life. You receive him, right? You're born again. What's the next thing you're supposed to do after you get born again? Well, you're supposed to, the next, very next day, you're supposed to start keeping the Feast of Unleavened Bread. It was unleavened bread that he commanded them to eat inside their houses that night at Passover. It wasn't leavened, it was unleavened. As a matter of fact, uh, in a negative way, they were to put all the leaven that was in the house out of the house. No leaven, that's yeast, by and large, is what that is, a, an influencing agent uh, like yeast. So they would put it all out and get rid of all leaven. But you don't just get rid of the leaven, you have to take the unleavened bread and do what with it? You have to eat it. You see that in communion, when we take communion, the unleavened bread. Unleavened because of Jesus. Jesus is unleavened life. There was no impurities in him. There's no, no outside substance in him that was causing anything. He was pure. He was holy. He was sinless. So you're to eat this unleavened bread. It does you no good to eat leavened bread. Eating leavened bread, which represents the Word of God, does not help you. It hurts you. So you don't want to just read the Bible. You want to read it without leavening, without any mixture in your thinking. You don't want to read it to find mixture. You want to read it to find Jesus and His grace. So it doesn't do you any good just to eat it. Well, it might do you a little bit of good, but it can get you off track also. So the first day after you were born again, you should have come into some kind of atmosphere where somebody or a bunch of somebodies are showing you the unleavened Word of God. Word of God without leavening in it without law in it, without legalism in it, all of that. So you eat that unleavened bread, and you grow. You can't eat it without growing. You immediately start growing. You gain confidence. You're, you're assured of his love and his kindness and his mercy, his goodness, his fatherhood. He ne he's love. He never does anything but love you because that's an expression of who he is. You start eating this stuff and it's unleavened and you cannot help but grow. It's incredibly nutritious to your soul. Do you understand that? It just helps you grow up. Helps you mature spiritually and on the fast track. So that's what you're to do. You're to eat this unleavened bread. I think those two fill-ins you got there, one is separation and one is resurrection. I didn't know they were going to leave a fill-in, but I think that's what it is on the first line there. <clears throat> so when we eat this unleavened bread, he's, 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 uh, he, he's helping us understand what happened to us. That at Passover, we were born again. Unleavened bread, we start feeding on the pure word of God and we start walking with him. That's the way you start to grow. I, I said some, some of this kind of stuff in my book a long time ago. That what mixture has done in the church is produced a bunch of very, very immature people, Christians. Immature spiritual, spiritual Christians. 
Very immature. You can't grow up under legalism. You, you can't grow up. You're, because you have to break out of that to grow up. Because you're in, a, you're in a cycle. Do this, please God. Do that, please God. Didn't please God here. Got to do better on this. Got to work more. Got to do... I've got to do something. At least I need to feel bad about myself. Because I'm not... You know, all that kind of stuff that legalism produces in you. It produces a immaturity. And you never progress. You stay there. You get a little better sometimes with your actions and activities and the way you act and things like that. You can make some progress there and stop being as big a jerk as you were. But, you know, it's all on you, really, with God's help. God, help me keep the law. That's, that's the prayer. Lord, help me keep the law. Help me do everything right. Help me. Empowerment. That's what the Spirit's supposed to do, they used to say. The Holy Spirit helps you do better in the way you act. Well, He does, but that's not why He came. That's not why he's in you. That's not why he lives in you. That has nothing to do with why he's there. He doesn't want to help you do anything except to love God and be loved by God. That's all. And reveal Christ and all that he did and all that he said and all that it meant. That's the purpose of the Spirit in your life. He's your advocate with the Father. Actually, he's your advocate with Jesus. He explains Jesus to you. Okay. So, you eat the unleavened bread. Okay, talking about it all being about Jesus. In Passover, everything changed. And unleavened bread. That, uh, Passover, unleavened bread, first fruit. Everything changed for them. Everything. It was a new beginning for them. A new day for them. They'd spent 400 years in slavery. Now, all of a sudden, instantaneously almost, they are no longer slaves in Egypt. They were, their exodus out of Egypt, their, everything changed. Their government changed. They were no longer under the government of Egypt. They were under now the government of God. So their government changed. Their geographical location changed. They moved from there well, they could have gone to the promised land, but they decided to take a detour into the wilderness for 40 years. But they could have. Though their geographical location changed, their government changed. Let me tell you something else that changed. is their calendar. Their calendar changed. From a 12-month calendar to a 7-month calendar. Now, why would God do that? Oh, I don't know. I think maybe he kind of wanted to show off a little bit. When you were born again, everything changed, didn't it? My life started changing instantly. It really did. I mean, outwardly, you might not have noticed much, but boy, inwardly, it was coming fast and furious and changing me. My direction changed. Eventually, my geographical location changed because of it, actually. I'm here because God, I got saved back then. Let me tell you something else changed. Jesus changed the calendar too, didn't he? Didn't he? A.D., Anno Domini, the year of our Lord, everything prior to that, B.C., before Christ. So every time you date a check, I don't know many of you ever date checks anymore, but anytime you write a date on anything, you're testifying to the 
to Jesus. You're testifying to Jesus. He changed the calendar. Buddha never changed the calendar. <laughs> Muhammad didn't change the calendar. None of them ever changed the calendar in their life, but Jesus did. All of it's about him. Now, let's talk about unleavened bread for a moment. It's talked about in Exodus chapter 12, if you'd like to read about it. Um, he said, put all the leavening out. And then eat of the bread. Eat of the purity of the bread. You know, Jesus said something that the, almost all the disciples rejected for a while. He said, eat my flesh and drink my blood. Mm. Is that literal? Of course not. Of course not. It's symbolic of something. What it means is you, you for the rest of your life, rest of your natural life on earth at least, this is what you do. It's all about me. You take me in. You feed on me. You, you relate to me. You, all of it's about him. All of it. So, somebody asks you a question about some theological issue, you say, I really don't know the answer to that, but Jesus, I guess, would be the answer to that question. He's answered every other one. Right? Now, what did Jesus come to do? Other than redeem us all, what did he come to do, really? What, what, what was he doing while he was here? He was revealing the Father. He's revealing the Father. He's an exact image of the Father. Everything about him reflected the Father. Uh, when he held little children in his lap and blessed them, he's reflecting the Father. When he goes to the woman at the well, he's reflective of the Father. I have living water, and you'll never thirst again if you take this, if you receive this. He's showing the Father and his compassion, his love, his kindness, his goodness. You never saw him lose his temper. You don't see an angry, vengeful God expressed through the life of Jesus, do you? Do you? If you do, take another look. The only person he got mildly irritated with, seemed to me like, were those in the, in the temple who were religious people putting down the normal people and misleading them and misguiding them. That's what he got upset about, that day at least. You never saw him angry. You never saw him lose control. You never saw him worried. You saw him come to grips with what he ultimately saw that he was called to do in the, in the Garden of Gethsemane. The anguish and the turmoil and the heaviness that was there about what he was about to face. Yet, your will be done. He healed people. He loved people. Sought people out gathered them, inspired them, loved them, taught them, was always with them. He was merciful. That's what the Father's like. That's what you'll find out. If you eat the unleavened bread that's offered, which Paul said in Galatians 5, he said it was for freedom that Christ has set you free. 
do not ever be again in a yoke of bondage. And he's talking literally about legalism. Literally, he's talking about that. And then he said, at the end, uh, at the, uh, kind of wraps that up, he said, a little leavening leavens the whole lump of dough. So the, the pure gospel cannot have any of that leavening in it, or it ruins it. Doesn't take but a little, and it ruins it. So, eat the unleavened word. That's why we, you know, I don't even like singing songs with mixture in it. I, I, I can't, I don't like hearing it. I don't want to hear it. I'm not going to spend five minutes listening to it, honestly. I mean, I wouldn't get up and walk out of a service if somebody was preaching mixture. I'd put up with it until it's over with, but I'm not listening to it anymore. I don't want to hear it. I've heard it. I don't want to hear it again. You don't need to hear it. It's not good for you to hear it. It's good for you to hear the unleavened word taught. The unleavened bread eaten. That's what's good for you. It inspires you. Why do you think over and over, let, let's take our women's Bible study, for example. Over and over, they do these different books and do these different things and all of that stuff. Why, why over and over and over and over and over do they need to get together and hear that stuff? Because you forget it. You get off of it. You need to keep eating the unleavened word, the unleavened bread. Okay, that night, they, this, this second feast, the unleavened bread feast, is a seven-day feast. So that means it's pretty important. The length of time, there's some things that have to happen or need to happen in someone's life in this feast. <clears throat> I think it's time given that you can grow, that you can move from infancy spiritually, not knowing much or not knowing anything, until you can move to a place where you're more established. Where you're not going to be tossed about by every wind of doctrine that comes along. Where, you're, where every wave is not going to crush you. Where things are not going to get you off track. It gives you a solid base and footing for your life and your spiritual life. Because there's a whole lot more coming <laughs> that you're going to need to embrace in the future. One of those things is the, is the ministry of the Holy Spirit. It's something you all, all of us, need to embrace. We need to understand his ministry, his work, and his person, and we need to receive that regardless of, of the ramifications of it. We need to receive his life and his teaching and his leadership. Therefore, you should learn through, through eating unleavened bread that the Holy Spirit is your friend. He's not, he, he's, he's not going to leave you. You're not going to offend him in the place where he leaves. He has an eternal covenant with you. You understand that, don't you? you? You've become one with God, in union with God. There's no separating you from God. The Holy Spirit's not going to run away from you. He's not going to withdraw himself or his influence in your life to keep you on the straight and narrow. If you don't do this, I'm pulling away from you, and you're going to be left without the Spirit. No, 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 no. It's impossible. So there are things that you need to learn incorporate into your life at Pentecost in receiving the Spirit. The same thing is going to be required of you at Tabernacles. <laughs> What's required? Receive. Uh, continue what you're doing. Uh, continue feeding on the Word. 
continue having this uh, confidence in God and the love of your Father, regardless of what happens in the details of all of this or the upheaval of all of it, and there will be some upheaval in it also, some big upheavals. You keep your eyes on Him. You've already been practicing that, haven't you? You haven't gotten there yet, but I've been practicing I've, the, through the storms of life, as Abby talked about this morning, that the storms of life, I try to keep my eyes on Him. I trust Him. My heart's given to Him. His heart's given to me. I continue to feed on His love and His kindness and His goodness. It builds me up and it prepares me for whatever is coming in the future. It's going to be more of the same but more intense. When I, when I, at the end of this, I'm going to teach you some things about the seven spirits of God. You've heard about that term uh, before, I'm sure, the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And man, uh, for example, um, in, in presently for us, it's possible, for example, to operate in a word of wisdom and a word of knowledge that the, the Spirit gives you. That's available to you now. That's a, that's a gifting that's available. Word of wisdom, word of knowledge, gifts of healings, operations of miracles, tongues, interpretation of tongues, the whole, the whole list. All that's available to us all it, to some extent. There's more gifting in some than others in certain areas. But for all of us, really, it's given. You operate in a word of wisdom or word of knowledge. It's, very, it's a big blessing. It is. It can lead you, give you wisdom. It can also show you things about things that you didn't know. In tabernacles, you're not going to need a word of wisdom or a word of knowledge. There will be the spirit of wisdom and the spirit of knowledge upon you. <laughs> it's taken to another level. It's not, it's not uh, for individual instances. It's all the time. It's all the time. That's where you operate. That's who you are. That's what he's done. That's, he's gifting, gifting you. So you see this great manifestation of fulfillment over there. And a great harvest because of it. So don't stop at Passover. Continue on in unleavened bread. And then you're going to come to the Red Sea in three days. So. <clears throat> Which is also, again, it's one feast, really. So it's not in chronological order necessarily. See, first fruits is easy to see, really, what he's talking about. Because three days they come to the Red Sea. No place to go except through it. God leads them through it. You see this identification in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. He died, was buried down in the sea. The, the enemies all around, but they couldn't touch him. So we died with him. We were buried with him. We came up out of the water on the other side with him, and all our enemies were left. He wiped out the enemies, but he saved us. So how do we keep that spiritually? We get baptized. Water baptism, that's a symbol of it. I mean, spiritual, spiritually, it, being active in your life is even more important than the natural, but... You're water baptized. You died with Christ. You didn't stay buried. You rose to a new life. You're in Him now. His resurrection is your resurrection. The reason you have a future as a resurrected person is because He did. He's the first fruits of all the resurrected ones to come to follow Him. He led the way. He was the trailblazer, the one who went first, the foremost. He's the first given, first one. 
but we all follow in his footsteps. So we keep that feast. Is this making more sense to you now? Historically, it's been happened in Israel. It's been fulfilled. Prophetically, it's all been fulfilled in Jesus. I just don't know about the last one yet. I don't know how all of it's going to work, but it will. And then spiritually or experientially, we keep these feasts also. Shows you what's happened in your life. When I saw this, it immediately made sense to me. I said, oh, because by that time in our lives, we had had some interaction with the Holy Spirit and we're trying to learn and learning how to walk in gifts and things like that and pray in the Spirit and worship in the Spirit and all of that. We had already experienced that, but I didn't know necessarily why. But seeing this, I said, oh, I do know why too. This is a part of my journey. This is a part of what God's always wanted for me, to grow up in Him until I'm established and I'm mature and I can be a father in the church and not a son anymore. Leads me to that place of wisdom and leadership that he wanted me to be in. And if that hadn't happened, that wouldn't have happened. And I can't wait for what's going to happen down there. Out there. Over there. Yay. All right, stand up. I told you I wasn't going to keep you as long. If I ever bring any notes in here, it's going to be forever, isn't it? <laughs> it makes me excited about the future. It really does. Regardless of how things look, you know, in the natural, it makes me excited that God, you have to know that in, in end times, all kinds of activity takes place. That's not the norm now. Maybe uh, one here and one there, but boy, I'm telling you, when what's coming comes, the norm will be the supernatural. The worst leavening that exists, I believe, is the leavening of the Galatians. That leaven was law. Legalism. There are other leavenings mentioned. Leavening of the Pharisees, closely related to the Galatian leavening. And they were behind it anyway. There's legalism, really hypocrisy. You understand outside of grace, there's tremendous hypocrisy. <laughs> there really is. I was there too. And, and still am to some extent, but I'm better. I'm getting better. I don't think I'm a hypocrite because I'm not claiming to be anything. I'm not claiming to do everything right. I'm not claiming to be anything. I'm just saying if Jesus did it all, I, I, I hadn't done anything. He, he did it all. You don't. But anyway, hypocrisy. Leaven of the Pharisees. And there's the leaven of the Sadducees. The Sadducees were, today they'd be called modernists probably, but they didn't believe in the supernatural. They just claimed anything having to do with the supernatural. No miracles. No nothing. If you, if you believe that, you'd be sad you see too. <laughs> so that's another leavening that 
you know, that, I would say watch out for that. Don't let that seep into your life. Then there's 11 of the Herodians. Herod was a wicked person. He was evil. Jesus called him that, really. Very immoral. Very. Uh, Jesus called him a sly fox. So he had under, underground agendas and all this kind of stuff, you know. Leavening of the Herodians. Stay away, stay away from that. Don't, don't have hidden agendas. Just be you. Be who you are. In love with Jesus. Jesus loving you. Just be that. Don't make a claim to, to being a, a religious uh, champion of any kind. Because you aren't. And I aren't either. He is. He is. The leaven of the Herodians. Then there's the leaven of the Corinthians, which is gross immorality, really. But that pull of the flesh there, it always is there. It's a leavening in your life. You won't own any of that. Lord, thank you for your goodness and your mercy and your kindness. For the great grace with which you not only see us, but treat us. We're so glad to have you as our Father. Thank you for your great love. Lord, I, I just speak that over these and theirs, that they'll never end, they'll never get full of receiving your love and your goodness and your kindness and your greatness. That you'll protect us, Lord, from any sort of leavening in our lives or in our thinking. That you'll allow us, Lord, to eat the pure word, the unleavened bread. And Father, we, we pray that this little rain of grace that we feel around the world will multiply. Lord, we, we want to see a big rain. We, we want to see a flood of your grace all over the world where people's lives are instantly and forever changed as the revelation of your grace bursts upon their hearts and minds and they begin to see. So, Lord, we anticipate that and we receive it by faith in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right. All of you just come to rest about the future. Okay? Rest in Him. God's in charge and up to something. All right? Celebrate that. Love you all. God bless you. See you next week.